Well, it's lovely to be together today. It's really lovely to see all your lovely faces, your lovely smiles. Thanks for brushing your teeth finally. We've got masks off. That's always nice. Um, <laughs> smells a lot better in here. Um, no, uh, I'm really excited to carry on our series in James. We're going into James 2 today. Um, I've got a joke. Do you mind a joke? Okay, it is a dad joke. I'm going to preface all my jokes by saying there are dad jokes. That's the point of a dad joke. Imagine this, it's a, it's a sunny day in May. Mum-to-be is nine months pregnant, ready to burst. Uh, contractions have started and dad is driving them into hospital as quick as he can, winding down St. Peter's Valley. Uh, but he's not quick enough and the little fella has to be delivered in the back of the car on the way. What does the dad name him? Carson. It would either be that or Mason, because it was in May. One or two. All right, you're welcome. Think big Ferrari. Yeah, nice. (laughs) So, James chapter 2. And and I suppose when we get into James chapter 2, we're getting stuck into the real meat of James's uh, letter. If you haven't seen yet, I've sent out uh, and I've posted like an introductory video to the book of James done by the Bible Project. It's really, really good. I want to encourage you, have a listen to that. It's like, what, six minutes long or something? But it is amazing. Uh, And then you'll know why it's either called James's book or Jacob's book. There you go. You have to watch the video. Um, So my title this week is Love Your Neighbour. Uh, and if you've been following our readings this week, this, this commandment is first given on Mount Sinai. But as we journey through scripture, which we've done in our 100 days Bible reading, who's doing our 100 days Bible reading? Who's doing a different Bible reading? Who's reading their Bible? Okay, hopefully that's most of us. So nice But we, in our 100 days, we try and do a bit of a journey leading up to a preach. So you've got some context. Uh, and so we've been doing a journey on, on loving your neighbor and what it is. And, and it's good because as we go through scripture, that love your neighbor idea is developed to not just include your neighbor, but foreigners, those who persecute you, the rich, the poor, you know, everyone being loved according to the Father's love for them as expressed through Christ. So turn to your neighbor. I'm going to make you do it a couple of times. And say... God loves you so much. This isn't a platitude. Say, God loves you so much he died for you. God loves you so much he died for you. Who, who's seen Titanic? Come on, don't be ashamed, guys. Put your hands up. Who cried at Titanic? Keep your hands up, guys. <laughs> because Jack sacrificially laid down his life for Rose. How much more should it hit our hearts that Jesus lay down his lives in our stead? Yeah? The greatest love story ever. Sees Jesus nailed to a cross on our behalf. And, and this love is what James really tackles in this passage. How do we as a church love in a way that's not defined by the standards of our society or even the way society looks at people, um, but really treats each member not only of the community, but first and foremost of our congregation as equals? And, and I can imagine most of us would probably heartily agree with that statement. Yeah? And we're kind of like, yeah, we should love everyone the same. Great. Um, but, but because of the society we live in, because of the way we've grown up and be conditioned by it, it's not surprising to see elements of preferential treatment in the church. And today, I want to challenge us to be humble enough to allow Holy Spirit to search our hearts and bring a conviction 
You know, a catalyst for our community to, to look more like heaven. You know, representing the heart of the Father to each and every person in the building. Because if we want to change what is out there, we first have to change what is in here. Does that make sense? Like, we can't establish a culture that we're not already living. Does that make sense? And so as we go into our workplaces, we want to see stuff change. I was speaking to a guy this week uh, who's in a workplace, and he said it's just hard, and it's the blame game. It's always the blame game. Something didn't hit the market, so who, who are we going to get at? And he was just saying the culture's so wrong, and he wants to see that culture change. And, 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 and the answer to it is in the church. You know, there's this heavenly culture, and Christ has made it that we as a church would receive and live from a culture of heaven, not from the culture of earth. So that as we go out from here, actually, we can make a difference. So, let's pray together. God, would our church reflect your kingdom? And would our eyes see people the way you see them? Holy Spirit, we're humble. We're here. We want to listen. Lead us. Okay, so before, last bit of introduction, before we do the verses today, we've got to remember the last verse from chapter one talks about us being unstained by the world, that the fabric of the church, that the life of faith cannot be sullied by old ways of thinking or unhealthy cultural practices. Let's do it. Thank you, Leandre. Hey, Leandre, thank you so much for doing visuals this morning. Just stick up that passage in James first and we'll read it together. Perfect. Uh, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into assembly, I've got a gold ring this morning, and you can decide what you want of my clothing, but uh, into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing, so I'm one of the two basically, also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Excuse me. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honourable name by which you were called? If you really fulfil the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Oh, there's a bit of a challenge in there, isn't there? Oh, Show no partiality. What does, what does that mean? Any guesses? Anyone want to have a stab at it? Say it again. Be the same to everyone. Exactly. Show no favoritism. 
And basically treat people the same regardless of their outward appearance or their status in society. To do this, we have to be unstained by the world because the world judges people based on what they do and consequently what they can do for me. That's so often how we look at people in the world. But God explicitly says he doesn't look on the outward appearance, but rather looks to the heart. God's not looking for the, for the strongest or most successful or most qualified. What he's looking for is one whose heart yearns for him. It's easy to think that we as God's people don't follow the customs of this world. But I really believe that because we have grown up in a society that does look on those things, we're naturally conditioned to do it. And when the Bible talks about our minds being renewed, it's about God teaching us to think and see and act in a new way. It's funny, we, you know, we've, we, our society's built a whole industry of influencers who basically can make like a five-second video, do whatever they want just to entertain you and get paid mil- millions for it. It's, it's incredible. And do you know what? Bless them. That's totally fine. In my opinion, as long as what they're doing right things. That, that's not the point. The point is if, if we as society set them up as celebrities and then reject other people who do not maybe provide us the same entertainment, the issue comes. Who's ever been starstruck in this room? Come on, be honest. Okay, one or two of us. The rest are too holy. But or Lou kind of half raised it. She's like, oh. I, I remember watching my brother chase Lionel Richie through Dubai Airport. Shouting, Mr. Ritchie, Mr. Ritchie. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then I remember myself being at a, a conference, a church conference, and there was a lady called Heidi Baker who I esteem highly. And I spent the whole conference trying to play it really cool and not being like, oh, Heidi Baker, please just pray for me because I think all my problems will be solved when you do. Anyone ever experienced that? I was, but I was playing it really cool though, guys. You wouldn't have known. But that's how I felt inside, right? I was like, oh, she's, she's famous. She's got it all together. She prays for me. It's going to be the deal. And that's not a reflection on her. That's a reflection on me. Uh, I remember one day, Jen and I were in a cafe in London. Uh, and we walked into the cafe. You know when you see someone, but you don't quite recognize them, but you see him. And then we went and sat down with our friends. And I realized it was James Haskell, who at that point was like one of the best number sixes in world rugby. Really good player. You couldn't really miss him. He's a big guy. Um, and I remember being like, oh, and I sat down at the table, and all I did was talk to him about James Haskell. And I was like, it's James Haskell. Have you seen him over there? You can't miss him. And I imagine they were quite bored of me by the, by the second minute of that. But I just kept going on about it, and so Jen took it upon herself to go and introduce me. <laughs> Bless her heart. What a brave wife I have. So she went up to me, and she's like, hi, my boyfriend's over there, and he thinks you're the best rugby player in the whole world. And, and blessed me, turned to her and he said, oh, not even my mum says that. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I was, I was a bit embarrassed that she had to introduce me because I wasn't brave enough. And also that she said he, I thought he was the best rugby player in the world. He was good. Um, but um, obviously I kind of walked up like, oh, hello, James. Gave him a handshake. But I was so um, starstruck. And to be honest, I, I shook his hand. And I'm sure after that, my rugby skills really increased in life. Um, I retired about a couple of months later, but that's besides the point. Um, but let's imagine sitting here this morning. On, on one side, if you could imagine with me, is that okay? Yes. 
Thank you. On one side, you have an international rugby superstar, or Robbie Williams. Any Robbie Williams fans? Anyone ever screamed, oh, Robbie? Yeah, okay. On the other side, maybe we've got um, Heidi Baker, and, and these legendary people have come and sat their bottoms next to your bottom, and suddenly it's like, oh. And then you start talking to them, oh, Robbie, could you give me some tips on my singing? I want to get better. Maybe it's Heidi, like, oh, could you sign my Bible for me, please? But, we, but this, this idea that actually the people either side of us suddenly become the most important thing because they're famous or because the world sees them as successful. I don't think we would hear many words that I preached this morning if that was the case. I don't think I'd want to hear many words preached this morning if they were here. I'd be like, Heidi, come on up and share with us instead. But I also don't think I would see the guy in the corner who's crying or the lady in the balcony who no one has spoken to for four weeks because she's not really sure she wants to speak to them. I don't think as a church we're really bad at this, so please don't hear that. But James is challenging something about the way society looks at people, about not getting carried away by by the rich and influential of society as they sit amongst us and then fail to notice the poor. Jesus says this in Matthew 8. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, and I've put a little brackets in here, if you only chat to your friends after church, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. How easy is it for us to forsake the poor, the needy, and the broken in our midst, the foreigners, the young, and the old, when we are caught up with those we idolize, or those we look up to, or those that we think can give to us? But there's a key in the the context of this verse in James I want to point out. He says, James 2, could you put that first slide up for us, Leandre? James 2. My brothers, show no partiality, he says in the next line, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So jump back into this imaginary scenario with me. You've got your famous people either side. And then manifested into this room, the Lord of glory himself. Dazzling and radiant, spectacular, beautiful, powerful and glorious. Suddenly there's no one in the room. In the light of his glory, everyone is the same. Everyone is mere human when compared to the king of kings. And this is why we choose to to purpose this perspective in our church. This is why we really look to see God. This is why we spend so much time worshipping him and adoring him. Because heaven's perspective is, is like the antidote to partiality. When we have heaven's perspective, when we see each other as God sees them, partiality goes out the window because, hey, we're all the same. We all fall short, but we are all children and we are all loved. Each of us as valuable as a person next to each other. The presence of God is the preference-destroying perspective of heaven. It's his presence. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You see, as we get right perspective of God, our Father, our provider, the all-sufficient one, our comforter and protector, do you know what? 
we can no longer be consumers in society. You know, look into the hero, look into the celebrity, the rich, to meet our needs. But actually, as we get this perspective of God, that he is our shepherd, and because he is our shepherd, we have all we need. It changes the way we interact, not only in the church, but in society. We have all we need because of him. We don't have to kind of suck up to the boss or or compromise to the behaviors of the powerful around us. Because actually, God is everything we need. And this is the heavenly culture which defines the church. If we come to church for what we can get, then invariably we will show preference towards those who give. If we come to church for what we can get, invariably we're going to show preference to those who minister from the front. But if we come to church, not perfect, Not that life's never got hard times, but if we come to church in the knowledge that he is our provider, giving us everything we need, then as we come into this room, we're not looking to get from the people around us, but we know if the Lord is in the room, every need I have is met by him. And then what happens, friends? We just want to give. We just want to love. We just want to serve. We just want to honor because the Lord of glory is in our midst. Oh, man, that's just too much that I want to say. There's notes for life groups. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says this. The parts of the body that, uh, that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Paul compares the body to the church. He's like, the bits that are really obvious and useful, like your fingers, he's like, that's great. But actually, show greater honor to the bits that, that aren't as seen, that aren't as obvious. And last week, we, we, I asked us to honor those people who are in, in the marketplace, in business, working in society, and, and really bringing heaven's culture and bringing the, the identity of God into those places. And this week, friends, I would like you to do me the favor of honoring those people who aren't working in the marketplace. Maybe they're retired. Maybe they're not currently in work. Maybe it's the children. Maybe it's the youth. But actually, I would love us to honor them in this room this morning. Can we do that together? Can we do it? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the, for the people who have faithfully been served and prayed in this church for decades. Thank you, Jesus, for them. Thank you, Lord, for, for our children who keep us on our toes, who, who, who keep us focused and listen. Father, thank you for our youth. Do you know why our youth come to church and they probably go out in the week to their friends in school and, and they say, hey, what did you do Sunday? And maybe they say, I went to church. And their friends will say, oh, why'd you go to church? And yet they come back the next week. Should we honor them? They deserve that, right? Come on, let's give them a round of applause. It's a hard time. It's a hard to be a youth, and do you know what? They stick at it, and they come back, and they come back, and they come back, and, and I'm really proud of them, and I, I really respect them for that. I'm going to invite Amanda up, because time is running out, and I'd just love her to share briefly um, on just what it is to honour and love the least of these. So I am a living testimony of what it looks like to invest in somebody when they have nothing to give you in return. Now, along with Becca... We were part of an amazing youth group going on. And I don't know that I would be this person today if it weren't for that youth group. 
I really don't, I don't know what I'd be doing, but that is what kept me going. And as a result of that time spent in youth, Tom and I then went on to become youth leaders in this church. And then we moved to Kenya, where we worked with a charity, the Kenyan Children's Project, where we had about 50 children in our care who were all very vulnerable, very poor. Now, I don't know about you, <laughs> when I think of what a missionary is, I think of someone who is super spiritual. They are so fiery, they've got it all together, they know God intimately, and doesn't everyone know it? That could not have been further from the truth for me. I did not feel that. And I'll just share a very quick story with you, but there was a trip that came out from the UK, in fact, that's where we first met you. I was dreading it. <laughs> <laughs> Not meeting Tim, personally. But I knew these people were coming, and they'd be expecting this really fiery missionary. And I was exhausted, spiritually, mentally, emotionally exhausted. I felt like I had nothing to give anyone. Now, one day on that trip, we went to a local school, which we'd been partnering with, just to serve and bless them. And I thought, oh, I'll supervise. <laughs> because that's safe. I can supervise. No one will expect anything of me. Now, we always took some of our kids with us when we went so they could be a part of it. And this one day, we had a, one of our teenage boys who was so shy, so quiet, so timid. And I watched him as an, an elderly lady came up for prayer, and she had really bad cataracts. She, she could barely see. And I watched him go and pray for her, and then he moved back and said, how many fingers can you see? And the answer obviously wasn't good enough, so he went and prayed again. And then he moved back, how many fingers can you see? And she answered him. So he moved back further, how many fingers can you see? And she answered him. And he moved back further, how many fingers can you see? This lady was healed of blindness. He had the boldness. He knew his authority over blind eyes that he could pray and see healing and it was in that moment where God spoke to me and he said this is your mandate it is not to go out and minister to healing and be so fired up all the time your mandate is clear and it is simple you are here to love you are here to love those kids you are here to show these children who have been rejected by families by authorities these children who had been abused and abandoned and quite literally told they are vermin and worth nothing. You are here to love them and show them that they are worth investing in. So I want to encourage you, when you're serving, it, it can be messy. It can be really uncomfortable. It can require sacrifice. But don't disqualify yourself like I nearly did. Because you never know the impact that you are having by just giving God your yes and saying, I am willing and I will love you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amanda. <laughs> Why don't we stand together? I'm just going to read one more verse as we finish up today. I'm just going to ask the band to play a little bit of music. This is Matthew 25, and it's, it's beautiful. Well, James makes it clear there shouldn't be indifference in the church. The Bible says in Psalm 34 that God is close to the broken. They are ones to whom the kingdom of heaven belongs to. They are ones who Christ came to seek and restore. In Matthew 25, Jesus says this, and I just want you to close your eyes and hear this. 
then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you and feed you? When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And this is our response today, friends, in our prayer. God, we want to love as you love. God, we repent for any way and every way. The culture of the church looks like the world around us. God, where we, where we fail to, to see people not for what they can do for us, but for what you've done for them. Lord, we want to come to church with an expectation, with a need, but that need and expectation of you, God. Knowing that you provide all of our needs according to your riches in glory. God, you are our soul sustainer. You are a great comforter. And because of you, because of everything you have done, of which every single bit of it is accessible right here and right now, God, we can live to overflow and we can live to love one another because you first loved us. I pray, Lord, that we would be such givers in this church. We thank you that you love a cheerful giver. And Lord, today I just want to honor those at the edge of the room, those who hide away. Lord, honor the children, the youth, the retirees, the broken, the wounded, the poor, those in our midst that society would overlook, Lord, would you give us eyes to see them and honor them above others. Father, I pray you would give us a desire to seek each other out, to love each other. Father, I pray you give us a desire to go and have coffee, not because of the coffee, but because we just want to love someone. We just want to chat to someone. We just want to bless someone. Father, I pray you give us a heart to, to reach out to the, to the mums with young kids who often have to go and hide out the back. Father, would you give us a heart to reach out to them? Father, give us a heart for the children. I thank you that the kingdom of heaven is present when they are here. Even when they're making noise. We thank you for them, God. We want to be a church filled with children, your children. Lord, stir our hearts this morning to have no partiality, knowing that you forgave us just as you've forgiven everyone else, knowing that if we judge with mercy and forgiveness, then we will receive mercy and forgiveness. And so we look to this world and the people around us with mercy and forgiveness. Just pray this prayer with me. Father, give me your eyes. Give me your heart. Help me to love those you love. Help me to see those society hides. And may this church be heaven on earth. Oh, come on. Just thank him in your hearts. Just thank him for that forgiveness. Thank him for that grace. Thank him that he doesn't look on you based on what you've done or what you can give. He just gives you his love. Oh, merciful Savior, we're just so thankful for you.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just feel like the Lord's just healing hearts this morning. Even if you feel that at points you've been that person overlooked, at points you feel like you've been treated just for what you can do or what you can give, I feel like the Lord is just saying, son, daughter, I want you to see yourself the way I do. Maybe you you know that actually you chase after things. Maybe you know that in your mind, no matter how hard you try not to, you you seize people for what they can do or give. And I know I am in that group. Then just repent to the Lord. Father, I'm sorry. Give me your heart. There's healing in the room this morning for hearts. Healing for bodies, healing for minds. And if you need it this morning, then the all-sufficient, all-powerful, never failing, never coming up short, God is in this room. And if you just reach out your hand and touch the hem of his garment, his healing will flow to you. He just loves you so much, friends. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're in the room. Transforming minds. Heaven on earth. We're just going to finish here today. In the sweet presence of our King, the Lord of glory, in whose perspective everything else is just the same. Everything else is just normal. When He walks in the room, everything changes. God, we give you the praise, the honor, the glory, the fame, our adoration, our worship. You are our true Lord. And we're just going to keep this space as it is as people leave. And if you want to, if you want to go, bless you. And I just there's refreshments next door. But we're just going to keep this space like it is. I would just pray for you that the Lord would bless you and keep you. The Lord will cause His face to shine upon you and give you peace. The Lord will lift up the light of His countenance upon you, give you peace. Amen. Friend.